0: From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and the good folks that love to stir the pots. Malcolm White here with Carol Bucket will be your guides today, and we're going to try to cover a lot of topics. We're going to continue our countdown to Thanksgiving, getting you ready for equipment, guest list, ingredients, shopping, etc. We also have a few listener emails to get to. And we'll get some advice from Dr. Susan Buttress on dealing with stress during this joyous and hectic time of year. We'll also talk about Armenian food and a recent trip that Kara and I made to Richmond, Virginia for her grandmother's funeral, who wrote a great cookbook entitled Please Pass the Pilaf. We'd love to hear from you, 1-877-672-7464.
1: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. Fully vaccinated travelers from Canada, Mexico, Europe, and many other countries can enter the United States today. That's because the Biden administration has lifted restrictions on non-essential travel that have been in place since the start of the pandemic. NPR's David Schaefer reports airlines and airports are preparing for a huge surge in demand. United Airlines says it will see an immediate 50% increase in the number of passengers on flights into the U.S. over last week. Other airlines are expecting their inbound flights to be nearly full, too. And Homeland Security officials warn that the pent up demand from tourists and family members who haven't been able to visit loved ones in nearly two years could lead to long lines and longer than normal wait times at airports. NPR's David Shaper reporting. A federal appeals court has temporarily blocked the Biden administration's COVID vaccine mandate for many American companies. The administration is supposed to present its response to the appeals court today. The mandate would cover about 100 million American workers. The first lawsuits have been filed against Houston rapper Travis Scott and the organizers of Friday night's Astro World Festival at Energy Park. Police say eight people were killed at the concert and dozens were hospitalized. Houston Public Media's Paul DiBenedetto says they died when the crowd pushed toward the stage.
2: The latest suit is being filed by the family of one of the eight people who died at the event. Lawyer Tony Busby is representing the family and other victims in that suit. It follows another suit from a concert goer, Manuel Souza, who is seeking over $1 million in damages after claiming he suffered serious bodily injuries and was trampled. In a statement to Houston Public Media, Sousa's lawyer accused Travis Scott of creating a dangerous environment at his concerts and says the festival's organizers should take full responsibility for what happened. Festival promoter Live Nation is among the entities named in the suit in addition to Scott himself. I'm Paul
1: DeBenedetto in Houston. Stocks opened higher this morning following House passage of the infrastructure bill late last week. NPR's Scott Horsley reports the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose more than 170 points in early trading.
3: With the government now set to spend more money on roads, bridges, and other public works, companies that make construction equipment and materials are getting a boost. Investors are bidding up shares of steel and aluminum producers, as well as the heavy equipment maker Caterpillar. Friday's better-than-expected jobs report showed solid wage gains in October. We'll find out Wednesday how much of that pay increase has been eroded by rising consumer prices. Tesla shares are down after CEO Elon Musk announced plans to sell 10 percent of his stake in the electric car maker. Musk is responding to a survey of his Twitter followers, a majority of whom support the sale. Asian shares were mixed overnight up in Shanghai, but down in Hong Kong, Tokyo and Seoul. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington.
1: You're listening to NPR News from Washington. In Nicaragua, election officials say incumbent President Daniel Ortega has won a fourth term in office, but he has jailed or silenced all of his rivals and suppressed other political dissidents. The U.S. called Nicaragua's election a, quote, pantomime. Most Russians are back on the job today. That's after a nine-day non-working period came to an end late last night. NPR's Charles main's reports from Moscow the break was aimed at slowing the spread of the coronavirus. The end of the national work stoppage comes as the human cost of the virus has continued to mount. More than 1,000 Russians have died every day since October 20th. This Saturday saw the highest rate of infections since the pandemic began. As a result, several regional governors extended work restrictions, even as Moscow, the epicenter of Russia's outbreak, saw its cafes and bars reopen for business. Most of the country still faces proof of vaccination vaccination requirements to access large public events. The Kremlin blames the recent spike on Russians' reluctance to vaccinate. Just over one-third of Russians are fully inoculated, despite widespread access to Russia's Sputnik V vaccine since the beginning of the year. Charles Mans NPR News, Moscow. The reports from Ethiopia say conditions in the civil war are growing worse. Groups of rebels have decided to join together. Now they're threatening to march on the capital, Addis Ababa. The U.S. State Department has ordered all non-essential employees and their families to leave. The Ethiopian government has been conducting airstrikes on rebels. The U.N. says all sides in the Ethiopian civil war have committed war crimes against civilians. This is NPR.
3: Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Appian. Appian offers low-code technology to help businesses keep up with change. More information is available at appian.com and the listeners who support this NPR station.
1: You're listening to Deep South Dining on MBB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email food at mpbonline.org. This is MBB Think Radio.
0: Ah, good morning. It's Monday morning. It's Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett. Hello, Carol.
4: Hey, Mal. I we know, missed you? you last week. We had a great show with Joe Sherman and Tim Pierce from Memphis was a big part of the show. It was all good, but you were missed and talked about and happy to see you.
0: Well, we had a great trip to Richmond, unfortunately. It was a you know a sad occasion. Uh, Kara's grandmother passed, Elizabeth. Uh, we called a gram, uh, But uh, it was great time to gather around Armenian food and Armenian culture, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But before, I saw a great photograph of you on cooking and coping, cooking a giant pot of goober peas.
4: Oh, yes, indeed. I mean, it was a giant pot of goober peas. <laughs> <laughs> we were, we, I, I actually can take no credit. Um, Melinda Berry Palmer um, Who works with Doris Berry at Doris Berry's Farmers Market bought a giant, you know, net bag of peanuts and then unpacked this whole paraphernalia with the burners and Mm -hmm. and everything. So we uh, boiled peanuts, or she boiled peanuts all day and and let me stir the pot uh, a few times. But you know, it's goober time in Mississippi, (laughs) and it comes to an end in November. So we. Wanted to get in on the act. Um, it, It all started because John loves peanuts so much. He kept saying, "Well, can I freeze some of these?" I was going, "No, you can't freeze peanuts. Boil peanuts."
0: Didn't sound right, but
4: it it doesn't sound right but indeed you can ah of course so now we have goobers for days
0: and speaking of said goobers i don't see any on the table uh java well
4: you you know i left them in the refrigerator this morning i did indeed make some for you guys oh boy but uh, i was reading that that (laughs) goobers are the official snack food of south carolina and i think that's wrong
0: You do. I think think they belong. (laughs) Well, you went to college at Converse in South Carolina, so you should know these things.
4: Yeah, but there were goobers. But I think the goober, the peanut, should be the um, Mississippi food, and I'm sure that we were the ones that came up with Coke bottles and goobers back in the yeah putting the the Peanuts. peanuts down
0: in the inside the Coke. That was great as a kid, and also we used to cook peanuts all the time. Uh, at our house growing up. Every, everybody had a little peanut patch in the back. Not us. We were not farmers, but uh, there were local local peanuts to be boiled. So this past weekend, as I said, uh, Kara and I traveled to Richmond, Virginia, uh, to to bury and to say goodbye to her grandmother, Elizabeth Tutelian, who we called Graham, 97 years old, lived a great life. Uh, but one of the most interesting things... Uh, Of this journey was remembering that she had written this cookbook called "Please Pass the Pilaf," which is a a wonderful family collection of recipes that, in 1975, she had the forethought to put into um, a volume so that her family and the members of her church, the Saint James Armenian Church in Richmond, Virginia, founded in 1956, would have a collection of Armenian recipes uh, in their home.
4: Well, it's a beautiful thing, and um, I've always been intrigued with Caribbean Armenian, and she really lives into her heritage, cooking. and And Graham was way ahead of the curve with doing a family cookbook.
0: Yeah, but I think it's a great idea for people listening yeah. who have family recipes and their own cards and. Scraps of paper stuck in the family Bible. It's these days. It's easy to get it's easy something to like do. that published. It really
4: is. But um, I went down the rabbit hole this morning reading about Armenia and Armenians and what really uh, what they are known for in this country and what a an incredible ancient and sad history yes. that country has had being invaded and taken over you know, by just about everybody and then the Armenian genocide.
0: Finally recognized by President Biden by the United States.
4: Yeah. But uh here's a quote that I wrote down just for you. Okay. And the Armenians are scattered all over the world because of all these things that are if have happened and this was my quote. Food is a way to showcase and unify their scattered nation. And the point of the article I read was that even though they are, you know, scattered all over the world, that some of these food and they they assimilate wherever they are. Armenians easily assimilate into a society, but some of the food traditions, you know, hold them together all over the world. And uh, this article also talked about the complexity of Armenian cooking. It said it reflects the frequency. That they had to remake their lives as refugees or immigrants, and it also reflects the. I mean, they had were uh, near Iran, Turkey, uh, you know, Russia, lots of influences.
0: People often ask me what is Armenian food, and I'd say often I'll say it's sort of a combination of Mediterranean and Middle Eastern foods. And, a lot, and, you know, the, the thing that we know most is Lebanese food, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, akin to and a cousin to to some of that cooking. But some of the dishes that we enjoyed during this time in Richmond that, that Kara often cooks uh, that people would associate would be the grape leaves, you know, right? both the, the cold ones with the rice and the vegetarian and then the hot ones stuffed with savory meats. The pilaf, which is uh, the, the, the uh, pasta and rice combination, the toasted uh, noodles uh, with rice cooked in usually chicken broth or whatever you feel like. Uh, green beans, they, they have a style of green beans where they used uh, they use chopped tomatoes. They call them uh, Armenian green beans, so it would be fresh green beans cooked, uh, you know, the typical way, and then they add onions um, and uh, some chopped tomatoes. After to it, they are cooked? No, while they're cooked. While they're cooked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they have these wonderful turnovers that they call bird eggs spelled b e u r a g and it's the phyllo pastry usually stuffed with cheese and spinach or they do a meat version as well and they're you know they're they're beautifully shaped or they can be made in a tray like we were served um, uh during the the funeral service they also have Armenian hamburgers, which are great. They will often mix half beef, half lamb, and then add cumin, uh, and onions, and garlic, uh, and parsley to the meat. Uh, which, it
4: sounds delicious, and that reminds me of another thing I read. You were talking about half lamb and half beef.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, Armenia is one of the earliest Christian civilizations, but they lived, you know, uh, side by side with Muslims. And so the lamb really came from the Muslim culture. You know, it's kind of the blending uh, of, of those two cultures.
0: And it's landlocked. So, you know, they have more lamb uh, than seafood. The Armenians, uh, as a race, predate Christianity. And they, as a people, they can be traced through the pages of history evolving right up until the 20th, 20th century. And as we all know, Noah's Ark settled in the heart of ancient Armenia atop Mount Arat. Did you know that?
4: Now there's a fact. And
0: so at the trivial pursuit. So at the funeral service, the priest uh, made reference to the casket as as being a ship, and that uh, you know the passing from this life to the next life as the journey. And he, of course, referenced Noah's Ark, which is runs you all through the Armenian faith, the Armenian culture. So it was a beautifully done service, and it was done in the Saint James Armenian Church. Uh, what, what, of course, I had never witnessed such a thing, but it was it was outrageously wonderful. And so afterwards, of course, we ate food in the church, and it was a cool combination of soul food and Armenian food. We had fried chicken with Armenian green beans and pilaf. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the as, follow- it should be. as it should be, I mean, you're in, in
4: Virginia and. <laughs> right. And that was, you know, one of the things that we were just talking about is how easily the Armenians assimilate. I mean, why not have fried chicken and green beans, Armenian green beans?
0: And then the next day we traveled from uh, Richmond up to the northern neck, the, that part of, of northern Virginia, where Kara's father and his family are from. And we had a ceremony there, a burial uh, at the Methodist Church, and then a big meal on the banks of the Man. Manath- Manitwa River, no, I mispronounced that. Manapania River. Sorry, Kara. The Manapania, which is named after the Manapania Indians who actually still have a reservation on the river there. And we went to Kara's cousin's house and we had this beautiful meal of of Armenian food, grape leaves, uh, pilaf. Uh, lots of other tasty dishes, uh, and they they serve this beautiful chert egg, spelled C-H-E-U-R-A-G, which is a butter yeast roll, like an Easter roll. You familiar with with the sesame seeds on it?
4: Yeah, uh, I wish you'd brought some back.
0: Yeah, well, I ate it all. But I also found out that while we were there that Kara's grandmother's parents, Elizabeth Tertillion's parents, owned a grocery store and a deli called Darren's Market in Richmond, which was, they also had a little deli. And so Kara, you know, sort of grew up in this tradition of food as as the centerpiece. And at the church, at St. James Church in Richmond, they have an annual uh, Armenian food festival, which is Richmond's oldest cultural festival in the whole city of Richmond. It's been going on for over 60 years. And Kara's mom, Anne, and her dad, Rob, are primary figures in organizing the Armenian food festival. Hey, road trip. <laughs> <laughs> they draw over 40,000 people every September uh, at St. James Armenian Church. But anyway, uh, thanks to Elizabeth uh, for publishing this book so that all of her family, which now includes me, will have access uh, to these Armenian recipes. And uh, if you're interested in such, it's called Please Pass the
4: Off. Love the name.
0: All right, so Carol, what else? You you had goober peas, and I was in Richmond. I'll tell you, on the way to Richmond, I stopped in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, to eat barbecue. Now,
4: well, of course, and you didn't go to Dreamland. You you,
0: I branched out. You did. I tried the other famous African American-owned and operated uh, barbecue joint in Tuscaloosa, which is actually uh, in North Point, across the bridge. Uh, from from Tuscaloosa, and it's called Archibald's. And I had had a jar of sauce from Archibald's, but I'd never eaten there. And it was outrageous. It was so good. And this is
4: on your way to eat Armenian food.
0: On my way to Richmond, I stopped in Tuscaloosa to get barbecue because I was on my way to Atlanta to the World Series (laughs) to meet my brother Brad and his son WT for Game 4 of the World Series. So I stopped for... uh, for sole barbecue in Tuscaloosa, carried it to Atlanta, had barbecue with my brother and his son, W.T., then went to the World Series and the Braves won. And then on to R- Richmond, Virginia uh, to bury and celebrate the life of Elizabeth Tutilian.
4: What a, what a week of highs and lows and a lot of richness, a lot of culture, a lot of deep South dining.
0: Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Including the Armenians. Who knew? Who, Who knew? knew? But it was a great trip. I drove all the way up there and all the way back. Uh, it's a 13-hour drive, Carol.
4: And so Kara flew and She flew needed. and
0: I drove because she needed to be there earlier than I could get there and needed to stay longer than I could.
4: Well, happy you're back and hope Carol will be cooking and maybe you'll bring something up to us. Maybe
0: I will. But again, uh, if you're interested in the cookbook, please pass the pilaf. Uh, I don't know where to find it, but I can certainly be of service there. If you have things you want to share about Armenian food or maybe some good old barbecue from uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, we'll talk about that. But either way, we're going to keep talking. Or goobers. We'll talk about, that's right, if you boil your own peanuts and you want to talk about that, some people put a little Cajun spice in there. Oh, they do. Mm -hmm. But we are going to take a break. When we come back, we will talk to someone who is no stranger to MPB Think Radio listeners. Dr. Susan Buttress, the host of Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking, will join us. And help us uh, as we head into the holidays. She will give advice uh, about stress that can come with the holidays and the pressures of of getting things prepared perfectly, especially in the kitchen. So stay tuned. Carol and I will be back with our special guest for the next segment, Dr. Susan Buttress.
1: Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix
0: It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just
1: aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast
3: everywhere.
0: Welcome back Deep South Dining. Mal White here with Carol Puckett. Good morning, Carol.
4: Good morning again, Mal.
0: There was one thing I forgot to mention in talking about the Armenian and uh, the trip to uh, Richmond, and that is when we gathered the second day of the burial on the banks of the Manapanae River uh, at Carol's uh, cousin's house, uh, a lady came to the house, knocked on the door, and was delivering some food, and she came in and put the food in the kitchen, and I walked out, and she turned to me and she said, Are you Malcolm, Malcolm White? And I said, Well, yeah. I am. I thought she was a friend of Carol, of uh, Kara's. She said, I just want to tell you that I podcast you and Carol's show every week, and I love Deep South Dining. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, and her name uh, is Jennifer Tickacheek, or something like that. Hey Jennifer. there, Jennifer. But Jennifer, we appreciate you listening, and... Dialing us up every week, uh, there on the banks of the river in in the northern neck, Carol. Please.
4: Yeah, it's so much fun to think about all the people that we hear from all over the country. You know, whether it's in Washington State or South Florida, uh, even we got you know the woman from Portugal right. a few who wanted weeks to correct us about, about greens. About, about, about greens. But uh, talking about Thanksgiving, while you were gone last week, we started the Thanksgiving countdown, it was, in fact, November 1st, and we talked about the need to plan your guest list and start planning your menu, and, you know, one thing I like to do when you have a big family gathering is to ask everyone, what is your one Thanksgiving dish that means Thanksgiving to you, so you can make sure you've covered all your bases. Right. You know, whether that's, uh, you know, sweet potato casserole or mashed potatoes, or for me, it's spinach madeleine, so plan your menu. But this week, it's time to order your turkey, make your shopping list, and to shop for the non-perishables now, so you don't have to go to the grocery store and have like two giant carts full of food all the yeah, things that are not perishable yeah yeah uh, do do it now while the stores aren't crowded uh, and next week we'll clean out our freezers, but uh, but this week start shopping and make that list and get your turkey ordered.
0: And and speaking of ordering the turkey, it, all over the news that there will be a turkey shortage and there will be an increase, a gigantic increase in the price of turkey. So should we go ahead and get it now?
4: Well, I I think I think we should. You know, we talked about that a little bit. I, I don't get the the turkey shortage. I, I had, you know, nightmares of turkeys floating around on ships at sea that can't get into harbor. I'm, mean, I'm hoping the turkeys are on farms in the U.S., but the prices are are just yeah. Uh, out, outstanding.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's this. Uh, it's problem. supply and demand, yeah, Malcolm. It's, it's supply and demand. demand. Well, anyway, we are going to continue to count down to Thanksgiving and uh, help you get ready for the crowd. Another thing, I guess, that we should think about is asking each person that you're inviting if they have any food allergies or if anything has changed from the dietary standpoint.
4: Yeah, that's that's a great idea. Know your guest. Yes. I hate to be surprised. I hate to, I hate to, you know, have everything on the table and somebody has forgotten to tell you oh, I that they're eat. a vegetarian yes. or that no. they don't, they don't need. I mean, I love a vegetarian, and I try to incorporate that into everything I do, but it, it's, it should be discussed beforehand. Before.
0: Well, if the mention of Thanksgiving or Christmas and the countdown give you a touch of anxiety, then pay attention to what our next guest, the host of Southern Remedy, relatively speaking. Uh, We'll say that show airs every Tuesday at 11 a.m. here on MPB Think Radio. Please welcome now to our show, Dr. Susan Buttress.
5: Hey there. How are you? It's a pleasure. I am doing great. And one of the things that I
4: absolutely love to do is cook. And so I love listening to your show, too. Well, thank you. Um, You know, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners this morning, when we started talking about Thanksgiving list started feeling high anxiety, but uh, butterflies in their stomachs, knots in their stomachs, and generally starting dreading everything from the preparation of the meal for those who don't enjoy cooking to the potential family um, dynamics. Yeah, the family dynamics, political discourse, all the little irritating things that can become. You know, big issues at the Thanksgiving table. So, talk to us a little bit about how to deal with all this.
5: Um, you, you, you both brought up such wonderful points, and um, already about the the planning ahead because many times that can help. So, anxiety, any kind of anxiety, often. Um, is secondary to feeling unprepared mm. or perhaps um, approaching something that you're not sure about. So that planning ahead that you already mentioned, um, organize yourself, ask for help, um, don't look for perfection. Um, that's something that I think I have encountered in some of my family members, actually, as as we've talked about entertaining and um, taking care of the family is that people get so anxious about the house looking perfect, about needing to perhaps paint a room before they can have a function even, or, you know, having the perfect dish. And so to quit thinking about perfection and make yourself think about what the purpose of this gathering is, it is not to be judged on your cooking, right? Right. It's, it's to be, ju- it's together, uh, to gather, hopefully, family and friends who love each other, even if they don't always think alike. And, and I know, gosh, between all the political fray and COVID and everything that's gone on over the last two and a half, three years, um, we don't all, even if we came exactly from the same genetic pool, we don't all think alike. And so you just have to remember, it's okay. It's okay not to think alike. So to try to keep, and, and I, I like reminding the guests before they come, um, conversation is going to be light. This is going to be fun. Let's make a pact not to talk about anything too heavy. Let's just have fun and enjoy and, and find out what's been going on with each other.
0: Right. Catch up, visit, park yeah. the politics at the door. Uh, you and know.
4: the old Miss State game.
0: There's that. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: now, Dr. Butters, I know... Right. There is this sort of phenomenon known as the holiday blues, and I've experienced this uh, firsthand in uh, and, and, and our family. But talk a little bit about that. I mean, some people uh, just during this time of year, they're bombarded with memories and maybe resentments and regrets. I don't know exactly what it is. How would you describe holiday blues and is it a real thing?
5: Oh, it's absolutely a real thing. And it's something that many people experience and don't understand it. And sometimes it can ruin the holidays if you don't, don't learn how to deal with it. And so you, you mentioned exactly what often goes on is that you have some regrets about perhaps what, what maybe did or did not happen, maybe a relationship, maybe, maybe an accomplishment that that didn't happen that you had hoped. Um, or it could be like my husband used to have, just in extreme anxiety about the present buying and who to take care of and how to please everybody and what to do. And so um, to to learn, learn about yourself and make yourself, again, realize what all these holidays are about. And it's not... Outshining uh, someone in present buying. It's not, it has nothing to do with the amount of money that you spend, but more to do with the love that you feel. So, um, Malcolm, you brought something up that I think many people start um, going back to the past or worrying about the future. And so I always like to bring up mindfulness. Um, and I know it's it's thrown out there all the time but but making yourself being mindful means centering in the moment make yourself center to where you are in the here and now and it it helps you slow down stop those racing thoughts and and sort of let go of that negative stuff that tries to creep into your mind and so it cooking i'll is one of the best things and if i ever feel stressed one of the best things for me to do is is to to do a slow pot of something start chopping yeah it just makes such a big
0: difference i feel good just hearing you talk about it. me
4: too for me it's (laughs) it's rolling out pie crust Uh, and you Uh know what i like to do
0: dr buttress when i'm feeling a little wonky I like to put a couple of sweet potatoes in the oven and just turn them on. Not that it's particularly Mm -hmm. about the meal, but just because of of the mood it sets in the kitchen and the home.
5: Mm -hmm. The warmth and the aroma. So, you know, the other fabulous thing about cooking is that it involves both the left brain and the right brain. So the left brain is that analytical, measuring, um, cutting things, you know, in the right um, shape or whatever. Um, maybe Carol rolling that, that pasta out, um, just the way you want it, getting it to the exact right thickness. Um, but then on the other side, that right creative brain allows that cook who is not a big measure or somebody to, to add a little of this and a little of that and, and to, Enjoy the incredible aromas that are going on, and and all of that. So, so what happens is you're just involving your whole brain, so you can be mindful in that moment and not have to be letting your brain take you away to maybe that <laughs> that lost um, relative who yeah the person is who's not
0: sitting at the table. Left.
4: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's great advice.
0: Yeah, that's, that's terrific. And another thing about by the time we get as close as we are to Thanksgiving and then followed by Christmas is that there's an awful lot of sweet foods that, that seem to gather in the kitchen mm. from Halloween and then Thanksgiving. And then by the time we get to Christmas, we are so high on sugar, we don't know what day of the week it is. And so one thing, it's, I guess, is not to overindulge uh, in the sweets, and somehow it would seem to me that that would be a trigger of a form of, of stress.
5: It certainly can be. Um, the problem with high sugar-containing foods or high simple carbohydrates, like uh, a ton of um, simple white bread or something like that, is that it it drives your blood sugar up. And then, but it doesn't last long, like complex carbs or vegetables or, or protein-based foods, and so you you get this literally a sugar high, and then you'll get the bottom that drops out, and you might be shaky and feel more anxious, and often that's just secondary to not eating the right way, and so to make sure that you know a little bit is okay. Um, and and something I've always loved in in some some different ethnic groups is people don't limit what they eat; but they limit the amount mm-hmm. that they eat. And yeah. and if we could only remember that, I sometimes think that um, our land of plenty uh, lets us forget that that. A whole lot. It's the same thing in medicine. A little bit of medicine might be good, a whole lot might be bad. Same thing with some
4: food. You know, so I, I attended a Pentecostal celebration a few years ago at a church in Columbia that has this huge food feast. There were dishes, I mean, hundreds of dishes, and they all had an iced teaspoon. In each one, so people went around with their plate, and you got—I mean, you could get one or two spoonfuls, mm-hmm. but it was such a revelation to me that a little bit of a lot, you know, to have a lot of different taste, you know, that you don't have to just load up your plate with a huge servings right. of everything, and, and that there, there's there's more. There's joy in moderation. There's joy in moderation. (laughs) moderation. Yeah, and this this is a topic that's since we're I think we're getting real honest here. I think you know alcoholic beverages around the holidays are it's so problematic, and a lot of people don't know what to do when they have people in their family who you know who who don't drink for whatever reason, or who have had problems with alcohol, you don't know whether to serve it or to not serve it, or if you're serving wine at the table, do you just not give that person a glass or do you, you know, put the glass at the table and let the person decide? Um, Yeah, there are just a lot of things I think people would like to know about how to deal with that.
5: Right. Any comments,
4: Mal or Susan?
5: Yes. I, I will say that um, from it depends on the person and where they are in their recovery with um, particularly alcoholism um, when you're when you're serving. First of all, I'll just say typically it's best to limit the amount of alcohol that's served anyway. I think. Many people, even if they don't have a significant issue, there are some people out there who, when they drink a little too much, um, either become maudlin and sad or angry. Uh, that's not across the board, but um, moderation here is is really, really important. For somebody who is is in recovery, I think it's really important to be sensitive and a sidebar conversation with them about what they're comfortable with um, sometimes is a good thing just to, to let them sort of set the stage for you um, I, I would probably um, yes set the table with the glass there and let them not pour or to have some sparkling something for them if if they would like for it not to be an obvious thing. You know, you can have sparkling grape juice or whatever, or Sprite, uh, sparkling water. Um, or not serve it, depending on where you feel you need to be with them. Um, so I think just to be, be sensitive, uh, but not to make a big deal about it, because nobody wants to have have an issue
0: that they've struggled with highlighted. right? right. Well, Dr. Buttress, we really appreciate you coming on and talking a little bit about the the holidays and the stresses and, and some good tips. Those are some great tips of, about being in the moment and being mindful, and I particularly appreciate your uh, talking about the left brain, right brain. I spent 15 years in public service trying to uh, preach the gospel of left brain, right brain, and how a person with a whole brain is more effective and is a better citizen than the ones Absolutely. who get lost in one side or the other. But thanks a lot for coming on. We appreciate it, and happy holidays to you. And we thank will-
5: you so much. It was a delight, and thank you for this, this lovely show. Y'all do a great
0: job. Well, thank you. We appreciate you, and uh, we enjoy your show as well. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, speaking of sugar and sweets, we're going to ask the big question of sugar and cornbread yes or no I mean this this will blow up a, 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 a Facebook page for you if you want to talk about do you put sugar in your cornbread well, we'd love to hear from you the number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or we'll sh- uh, be glad to read your email online or discuss a topic that you send us through email which we'll do in the third segment of the show here. Just send it to food at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned. Carol and I will be right back.
4: Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson
0: Listening to Deep South Dining. It's Monday, and uh, Carol and I are right here on MPB Think Radio. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Mal. What a great show! It was great to have uh, Dr. Susan Butcher's come on. Boy, and talk she to
4: made us. me think about you know, a lot of things. I'm having a different kind of stress. What kind for Thanksgiving? Going? This is weird. Hello. But I am. Hi. <laughs> I'm not going to be cooking all of Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. I'm not con- John wants to order some items and I've never done that before and it's kind of a scary. Hmm.
0: So you're going to have a mixed things that you, y'all cook and then things I mean, that are he ordered wants,
4: out. He, he's trying to do it to be nice to me and not have me work. Oh, to work. take
0: some of the burden off. Yeah,
4: but mm-hmm. I love the burden.
0: Okay, well,
4: <laughs> so maybe, we kind of,
0: maybe we can set up a session with you and John and Dr. Susan Butters. I think we
4: need to. I think we need to. Um, while you were gone, I'm hoping that you followed this, but on Cooking and Coping, our Facebook page, there was an insane... Uh, commentary going 183 comments 183 183 over whether or not to put sugar in your cornbread
0: so if you want to get in a fight you don't talk about politics or sports
1: you, you bring talk up sugar about, and corn cornbread
4: bread or hellman's you know hellman's <laughs> and duke's, dukes <laughs> mayonnaise but but one of our great posters amanda ellison anglin posted this question and you know, one of our uh, one of the other posters said everybody was staying home from work to fight about cornbread. <laughs> Nobody was doing any work that day. But uh, Amanda states that she likes a little sugar in her cornbread, and just wanted to know what everybody else thought. Well, they they thought a lot. They and Louis Grizzard said it best somebody posted his his saying and he said he was you know the great writer oh yeah in florida humorous he said um that let me let me find it any oh yeah 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 anyone who puts sugar in cornbread is a heathen who doesn't love the lord not to mention sec football
0: wow that's uh, pretty profound there from mr lewis grizzard i know
4: but we just picked up the phone and called amanda she's probably pretty surprised
0: is she on the phone now amanda are you there i am look at look at what you've started ollie look what you've gotten us into this time
3: well well for for the record are y'all there oh we're here we're listening okay all right. For the record, Mr. Grisard, I love the Lord and I follow SEC
4: football. <laughs> okay. Well, Mr. Grisard is looking down from heaven. So, <laughs> so, no, so- I did. I did not
3: know that sugar and cornbread was a was a controversial subject.
4: So uh so kind of kind of sum it up for us and, and and tell us about your post and um kind of what you learned from this experience. <laughs> well, um <laughs> well
3: I I I I put a little bit of sugar, just a tablespoon, and it's not enough to really uh give the cornbread a sweetness. It just makes the corn cornmeal taste a little brighter. Mm-hmm. Okay? And it's something that I believe my grandmother did. I've seen my cousins do it. Um, and so I had forgotten to add it in, and I had already poured my batter in my iron skillet that was my grandmother's. And, um, I just took a picture (laughs) and, and posted it, and who knew, uh, that it was gonna blow up the way it did. But it was fun. Um, and the different takes on it, but I must say that the people who do not put sugar, even just a tablespoon, in their cornbread, um,
4: they get they get almost belligerent. Yes, they do. But I'll tell you, one of the, one of the things I learned from Stir this, yeah, this very in in depth conversation is. A lot of people who would, you know, there's a difference in sweet cornbread, which some people call Yankee cornbread. That's right. Right. See, I had never heard that before. Yeah. There's a difference in putting a half a cup of sugar in having Yankee cornbread (laughs) and putting a (laughs) teaspoon or a tablespoon that brightens up the, you know, the flavor. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who would say they don't put sugar in their cornbread say, well, I actually put just like a teaspoon. So that was really new to me.
3: Well, um, if I'm making cornbread dressing, you know, I mean, I will not open up a box of Jiffy and make my cornbread
5: dressing. No.
3: But you know, it will be homemade cornbread, and you know, um, there there probably will be a little, just a just a tablespoon. But well, some some posters posted that it would make that the sugar actually. Uh, makes the cornbread more tender and that it'll brown better, which Mm. makes sense.
0: Interesting. But, I mean, how can anyone argue with what you said, that a little bit of sugar brightens the corn in in the recipe? And so, but, I mean, everybody uh, to their own. Uh, Sugar, no sugar, that's a personal choice. But uh, I, I appreciate that that you know why you put it there, and then you don't just put it there because. <laughs>
4: well, I no, suggest that I, everybody about- read this post. I mean, we are, we're always promoting for people just yeah, to go be members of Cooking and Coping because it's such a wonderful community, and you learn so much. But going through 183 comments, <laughs> you know, I learn I learned so much. And one, one comment um, I really – Loved was someone that he he actually or she browns a handful of raw cornmeal in the oil on yeah. the stove before pouring the batter in, and it creates grit on the bottom mm. and makes the crust more crisp. I think that was a really really cool tip. Yes, I, I, I nice. learned I learned a lot. Yeah, well, there you go. Okay, Amanda, you're in Walthall County, is that correct? Yes. And, and tell us about your life and what you do.
3: Um,
4: well, during the day,
3: <laughs> I uh, clean up after people at First Baptist Church Summit. But on, in the evenings and on the weekends, I have an old farmhouse out in Walthall County. And I uh, grow flowers during the spring and summer and sell at farmer's markets. And I grow vegetables. And I have a few fruit trees and blueberry bushes. And I like to put up jams and jellies, and I put up, you know, green beans and squash and um, try to keep my home pantry as uh, fresh and loaded as I can.
4: Well, you have certainly been an important part of cooking and coping, which we really uh, uh, appreciate. And, you know, lots of people, lots of us read your post. Absolutely. And, and, you know, love – I had to (laughs) – I, I actually sent her a post this morning trying to find out where she is because, you know, we, we feel like, you know, people are our friends. Right. <laughs> of, of this and you don't even know, <laughs> know where they live. So uh, it, it was wonderful that you let us call you this morning.
3: Well, sure. I love to feed people. And um, I try to get some, some young girls and little boys in the kitchen and um, show them what I know. Because if you know how to cook, you know, it incorporates so much about life. Yep. Um, family, and a little bit of math, and science, and um, it's just a lot of fun to share uh, my li- limited and
4: humble knowledge in the kitchen. Well, it's not so humble, but you, you just <laughs> once again proved Malcolm's left brain, right, right brain theory. <laughs>
0: Amanda, we appreciate you listening to the show. We appreciate you uh, interacting on uh, cooking and coping and for posting and for being in touch with us and, and agreeing to come on the, the radio uh, without any sort of <laughs> warning and sharing <laughs> these wonderful tidbits of, of your fascinating life in Walthall County. So thanks a lot, and, let's, you know, stay plugged in. We appreciate you.
3: Oh, well, you're welcome, and I had fun.
0: Good. All right, we're going to Mobile, Alabama now. We've got Jesse on the phone. Hey, Jesse, what's going on?
2: Good. Yes, can you hear me okay? Absolutely. Okay, my mom would make regular cornbread, and my dad would add sugar to his. My wife's from New Orleans, so she's more of a beignet French bread. Mm. She never likes the taste of corn in bread. So for some, if you're not a corn fan, the sugar... Not
3: some of that immediate
2: corn smack off, so it's more of a sweet
4: bread, fries, not as much sweet. All right. So That's your parents all. had a mixed marriage. Right. You had uh, sugar in the cornbread and no sugar in the cornbread. Uh, how how did that affect their relationship?
2: Uh, they stayed married for years. There you go. Yeah,
4: there you go.
0: Variety is the spice.
2: But I think what, what what sparked everything was, I guess I could say, Americans or maybe just people in the South. When you say sugar, you don't immediately think a teaspoon of sugar.
4: That's right. <laughs> so, That's
2: right. you know, you're, you're thinking like, oh, my goodness. You're so, cup or half cup. Yeah, who's yeah, putting know, all these cups of sugar in the cornbread? Because <laughs> so, I, I can um, uh, imagine that it does knock some of that. That uh, or like like Amanda said, brightens up yeah. the flavor. But it's just a teaspoon, just a, you know, a tablespoon.
4: Java, don't we learn stuff here every week?
2: Every week, it's every all. Week. And you know, last uh, <laughs> last week we learned pumpkin spice is not that bad.
4: <laughs> oh, Malcolm, we'd had a pumpkin spice. Bonanza. Well, I know because
0: I read about it on <laughs> Cooking and Coping that the attitude toward pumpkin spice had changed. Now that I was out of town and that you and Java were warming up to pumpkin pumpkin spice in my absence. Yeah. I read that.
4: But I, I love tracing Jesse's family. He's He's got the sugar, the no sugar, and the Louisiana wife who is thumbs down Mo- to cornbread. More
0: like beignet cornbread. That's cool. All right, we, uh, we got a couple of emails uh, last week we want to share and talk about a little bit. But before we do that, a few weeks ago we mentioned uh, that Mississippi baker Renee... Larange of uh, Waveland had made it into the finals of the Food Network's Holiday Halloween, sorry, Food Network's Halloween Baking Championship. And after all was said and done, she won grand prize. As stated on the show, she used some of her $25,000 prize money to open the doors of a small operation called Sugar Pop. It's her first full-service bakery, which is located inside the Ground Zero Museum in downtown Waveland. The grand opening will be soon, and we will announce it here when we get the details.
4: Got it. How about those
2: emails, Java? Well, yeah, we got a, a, a few emails um, over the past couple weeks, and uh, one one quick one. Well, actually, it's not quick, but I can read. It's not really a question. Uh, it was just talking about uh, Stephen from Jackson. He loved the fig relish recipe that we gave to um, gave to everyone on the podcast a couple weeks ago. But then, in response to Carol's request for pumpkin soup recipes, he wanted to share some share some tips. Uh, pumpkin soup is all a national dish in Australia where uh, Stephen grew up. He said most families have their own version. His grandmother mm. used to start by Wilton onions, adding curry powder, then cook peeled and cued pumpkin Ooh. flesh and cooking in veg water, which is funny, veg water he says it's nothing fancy, it's just what's left over from boiling veggies for dinner. Mm. <laughs> and then you puree the pumpkin when soft and finishing with a little milk or cream. But on the flip side, his aunt would use onions cooked in baking grease, cook the pumpkin flesh in chicken stock, then puree and add cooked bacon at the end. Also, Stephen says that um, his heart breaks a little every year when he sees all the gorgeous pumpkins hit the market around Thanksgiving and Halloween, knowing that most of them won't actually be eaten. Um, you know, you could do things like, he says, pumpkin scones, um, but he can also think of pumpkin pur- puree mm. um, or uh, roasted pumpkin. But uh, he says it's just, you know, coming from Australia, seeing how those pumpkins go to waste here in America.
4: I tell you, those dishes that, sound wonderful. I sure and do. I know your eyes brightened up when he talked about the veg broth.
0: Yes, indeed.
4: Because you don't like to throw away any ingredient mm-hmm. and you do love a broth.
0: You need to recycle that stuff. It's, it's Yeah, I good. mean, when
4: you've been cooking vegetables right. all day, why not boost the flavor of something else? Now, we
2: also got uh, an email, Java, about plums. You- yeah, and it was funny because you told me that this person... Actually, I guess stopped you on the street. Yeah, to ask me about these plums, and I said, shoot us an email, and we'll uh, we'll get to it. So this one is real quick. On our farm in Yazoo County, uh, we have a number of wild plum trees. The trees appear to be Mexican plum trees, and they produce a small reddish tart fruit. Um, The plums make a really good jelly, but they say they only have uh, so many friends to give away all of this jelly. So, do do our listeners have any thoughts on other uses? For the plums and also what's the best way to ensure that the jelly will sit uh, i'm not i, I think don't.
4: that's a topic for for next week we, but I, i'm i'm feeling some plum chutney coming on
0: plum chutney
4: yeah and i think it would be plum wonderful. crazy cake
0: might it, be good yes
4: but plum chutney with pork and turkey would mm. be delicious Very Just
0: inside very timely very timely Well, next week on our show, we're going to have a cookbook writer, I guess you would say, and and a a fine chef from a best-selling author of a book called The Cake Mix Doctor. And her name uh, is Ann Byrne. And Ann is coming to town to do an event at Lemuria. And that's on November the 18th. And, yeah, and next Thursday. Next Thursday. And, Carol, you and I will be yes. hosting that event at Lemuria. In person. in per- Live, live and, and in person. person. <laughs> with, with Ann Byrne. And the public is
4: invited. You know, it's going to be good to be live and in person again.
0: So the new book is called A New Take on Cake. And so we'll have Ann on the show next Monday. And then Carol and I will be at the Lemuria event on uh, Thursday, November the 18th.
4: Malcolm, I'm really excited about this. We just got our copies of the book this morning. and What a beautiful book. It's beautiful.
0: Book. I can't wait to dig in to cut a slice of this Yeah, a slice of book. life. All right. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from folks just like you, and we thank you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman our guest today, Dr. Susan Buttress, we appreciate you, and we can't wait to tune to your show. For my co-host, Carol Puckett, I'm Malcolm White. We ask that you now stay tuned for Marshall Ramsey's show, Now You're Talking, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. Also join us next Monday for more Deep South Dining, heard exclusively on MPB Think Radio. Carol, we'll see you next Monday. See
4: you, Mal.